1: limited is proud to be brought to you in part by starcitygames.com not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web they're also the world's largest independent retailer for magic the gathering singles and supplies for more information visit starcitygames.com hello everyone and welcome to another episode of lords of limited my name is ben Warney, and joining me on the line is ethan sachs Ethan, did we crush it or definitely crush it with top coverage this weekend of the Mythic
0: Invitational? I think definitely crushed it for sure. Yeah, uh, you and I did some co-streaming of the Mythic Invitational on Thursday and Friday. And shout out to Sam Eilenfeldt, who stepped in on Friday and Saturday and joined me. It's awesome to get to chat with him about some best of one standard. What's the what's the verdict on Duo Standard, Ben? Are you in or are you out? I'm out on duo standard, but I think that's a shock to
1: no one. It seemed like a pretty narrow format and like a lot of matchup dependent things that were out of the player's controls. Um, I really, though, however, liked MTG Nerd Girls, like green, blue tempo deck. I thought that attacked the format from a pretty neat angle. And I promptly built that on MTGA and I voluntarily, voluntarily, I will repeat, played about 25 games of standard, which was a ton for me. uh, And I shot through silver and gold. On a huge heater with that, I went like 19 and six or something. That deck, nice. I think, worked pretty well against mono red and mono white. I felt good playing against those. And then I felt like it was sort of a the mono green deck with some negates and spell pierces. And then those negates and spell pierces sort of gave you a puncher's chance when you got matched up against Esper.
0: Yeah, it had had like game against all three of those major decks for sure. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the top four in a couple hours We're recording this on Sunday morning. Um, I think I've watched like every round. So far that is impressive i have not watched every round i've watched about half of it i would say there was not i mean i I could like count on one hand the amount of moments where i was like this was an exciting thing that happened like it was not a lot and it did get really repetitive seeing the same decks over and over and over again matt nasa's play oh my god ego was pretty savage yeah that blew my mind there was also this sick play where uh someone played a breeding pool untapped to get their opponent to play Thought Erasure when they had nothing. Ooh, nice. Yeah, that was pretty sweet. I just love like the, the bluffing the untapped land to be like, I'm going to cast Expansion Explosion next turn. Nah, just might the two damage doesn't matter against Esper Control. Anyway, we're going to be talking about 40 card decks today, Ben. So aside from your 25 games of standard, do you play any uh, drafts this week? I did. I've done
1: six drafts on MTGO. It was good to get back in the groove of streaming and playing some MTGO. So I have now done 55 MTGO drafts, 115 and 46 overall record, picked up a couple more trophies. So I'm now at 19 trophies, 71% win rate, and I did my first Legacy Cube draft last night and I trophied. With a cut five stipulation draft, which was pretty sweet. For those of you that don't know what that is, uh, you draft 45 cards, cut five cards and click submit. So you have to draft all the lands for your deck. While you're doing the draft, you
0: don't get to add any basics. Yeah, that's my one of my favorite stipulations. It's also often a stipulation that I just force on myself inadvertently. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have been drafting quite a bit this week, but I have unfortunately not been keeping track of my record. It's It's tough towards the end of the season to like feel motivated to like Do all the like screen cap your deck and upload your draft log and all that stuff. So I've been I've been bad about that this week, but I've been doing some cube got a couple trophies there. I've been doing some RNA best of one. I also hopped in some best of three cues as per your recommendation to me last week. And they are soft as butter. They really are. I've also done a few of those.
1: So I'm now I've done five best of three drafts, nineteen and seven, and I have three trophies now. Uh,
0: you are playing against some
1: soft competition in best of three if you want to grind some gems right now.
0: Yeah, we've got like, I think five hours until the like season ends, and I'm at Mythic, I think like eight twenty. So I'm just like, going to be tight. I don't think it's going to be tight. It hasn't really moved that much in a day. So I don't think it's going to be that bad leading up to the end here. But yeah, it's kind of dumb because I did an M19 draft, but I don't want to play the games yet. I stopped. I stopped at
1: 4-0 and in my M19 draft. And just by going 4-0 in a single M19 draft,
0: I jumped from Mythic 600 to Mythic like 180 or something. Whoa. That's pretty big because I was experiencing the opposite like basically a week ago of like my losses were big chunks down but my wins were like five up one up. everything i do is big chunks <laughs> just huge swings over there variants hitting you all over the place <laughs> yeah yeah and uh you're gonna be playing any more legacy cube or you think that's gonna be it for you i know you're not a huge fan I might just go
1: out on the the cut five trophy. I, I, if I'm streaming and people want me to do it, I'll do it. But I will not be playing any Legacy Cube on my own time. I just don't. I just don't like the Legacy Cube much. I feel like it leads to games that are pretty swingy and a lot of times dominated by a certain card. Like in the finals, for example, Dak Faden is not supposed to be in the Legacy Cube, <laughs> and I just. <laughs> got savaged by playing turn two
0: artifact and my opponent playing turn three deck fading like that card's better than every other card in the legacy cube yeah i was confused by seeing because i didn't actually look at the card changes but i knew that they had changed like 120 or something like a a large chunk of the legacy cube was switched over and i was like wait why are all these vintage cards here like coercive portal the like four mana howling mine Mm -hmm. i was like what is this doing here (laughs) So, yeah, I was confused by a lot of the, the power cards that I'm used to seeing in Vintage Cube showing up in the Legacy Cube. It was weird. Anyway, so moving into what we got going on this week, we are going to be talking about bad habits of limited players, Ben. Bad things that folks who like to sleep up 40 card decks are consistently doing. And I think these are things that you and I have overcome, things that we're seeing uh, come up in Twitch chat, things that we're seeing come up in Discord quite a bit speaking of Discord, Ben, we got to talk about that Lords of Limited Patreon, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. Of course, the show will always be free. But if you do choose to support us with those dollar dollar bills, you get access to the Lords of Limited Discord, which is just the most thriving place to talk about Limited on the Internet. I just can't imagine there's any other chat room where things are going 24-7 talking about the new formats on Arena, trying to break M19, trying to break the new Legacy Cube. All that stuff is happening. In the Lords of Limited Discord, you get some perks for some higher tier donations as well. And we, of course, want to shout you out the first week that you join. So we got some folks to welcome this week, Jose, Rima, Steve, C, Dan, Daniel, Ben, and James. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Cannot say thank you enough. The Discord is awesome. I really,
1: really enjoy going in middle of the day. You know, I just drove somewhere and I have a few minutes to kill like
0: pop that up, get my magic fix, and
1: then go do whatever it is I'm going to go do. It is great. And it's great because of all you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yes. All right. So we've got a roundtable that actually made its way into our Discord uh, this past week, Ben, from you. Yeah, this was a doozy of a draft. So are you ready to sit down and try to navigate this better than I did, Ethan? I'm going to hold on to my
1: seat here. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. All right. Pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. Savage Smash. Summary Judgment. Ill-gotten Inheritance law mages binding gateway sneak and then your rare
0: kind of sort of blows all of those out of the water it's mass manipulation yeah ooh baby i mean quad blue is a commitment but it's a commitment that i'm willing to make yeah and i think this is just where we're going to talk about pick orders a little bit in this episode this is one of the nice
1: things about pick orders where you know mass manipulation is better than every common and uncommon Mm -hmm. and you just snap it off yes agreed moving on to pack one pick two See the following cards as options. There's a frenzy air in the pack, but that's not really in consideration. And
0: then you're trying to decide between Aramunculus and Grotesque Demise. Yeah, this is tough because so if this were pack one, pick one, you would take Grotesque Demise. But I think mass manipulation is strong enough that I would like to take Aramunculus here. And I don't feel like it's a huge hit in power to take Aramunculus over Demise here. So I think that's where I'd be at, just like giving a nod to trying to play mass manipulation if at all possible, and the f- fact that like it's is there a Monculus, like maybe a, a a gradation worse than grotesque demise? Yeah, probably, but that's still fine. It's a really good card. Yeah, that was my thought process as well. So I ended up selecting Aramunculus here,
1: but I posted this in the Lords of Limited Discord. We have a channel called Draft Log Review where you can post your, you know, your Fluey is the website, magic.fluie.org. You can upload your draft and post it with visual images for everybody to go through and say what they would have picked. And, you know, it's really helpful through the first eight picks because they have the same decisions that you had before your decisions start actually affecting the course of the draft. So I also selected Aramunculus, but I posted this in the Discord and... Ari Lax, who is a pro that's in our Lords of Limited Discord, posted that he would have taken Grotestimize here, pack one, pick two. And his reasoning was, and my my reasoning for taking Aeromunculus was the same as yours. His reasoning for Grotestimize was that he thought it was an objectively better card and enough of a power level gap there that it was worth taking. And his sort of thought process on mass manipulation was that to be able to play it, blue has to be so wide open for you to get there with feeling good about it with the four blue sources that he really doesn't try to bias his picks towards blue. And he just assumes either blue is going to be obviously flowing and I'm going to get to play my mass manipulation or it's not. And I shouldn't try to force it. Like he doesn't want to get himself in trouble with the card. So he took grotesque demise. Pack one, pick two.
0: Yeah, that all makes sense to me, except I don't I'm not sure I agree that the power level is so huge. Like, you know, Aromunculus is a pull into cynic for me. I agree. I think they're both B minus ish cards. Yeah, I think grotesquemise is better, but not by a lot. Not by a lot. Yeah, I would agree with that. But yeah, that that makes sense to me a lot. That like, yeah, you definitely need to be so heavily in blue, and for that to be possible, it needs to be so open that you probably will get an aramunculus. And also, if blue white is open, then you maybe have the opportunity to splash grotesdemize, so maybe it still has the opportunity to make your deck. I don't know. Yeah, I think that was a super interesting
1: pick and super interesting logic mm-hmm. moving on to pack one pick three see the following cards as options there's a skitter eel a gyre engineer sort of go down the simic
0: route and then the best card in the pack is blade juggler yeah this is tough like i can't, i mean i don't like gyre engineer if, as you know from our 50 takes episode i think it's basically worse than simic locket so i'm not really looking at that card here skitter eel is a card that i like quite a bit third pick seems a little early for it though so the responsible thing is to take blade juggler but i, I don't know if i would have had the discipline here i might have just been like hold on to your hats i'm taking skitter eel. yeah
1: that's tough skitter eel is such a worse card than blade juggler it feels a little early to me to go ham on skitter eel so i was disciplined and i took blade juggler here
0: yeah good for you
1: moving on to pack one pick four starting discipline starting to pay off see the following cards as options there's an impassioned orator a burning tree vandal a cult guild mage Blood Crypt is your rare. There's no uncommons missing from the pack. And then like the only Simic cards are Territorial Bore and Thought Collapse. So considerably worse than the other options in the Rakdos colors there.
0: Yeah, those are literally the only two green and blue cards in the pack. So I think this pick probably comes down to Cult Guildmage versus Burning Tree Vandal. I don't think you should be dipping back into blue for Thought Collapse here. And I'm surprised to see you take the Guildmage here over Burning Tree Vandal because I thought you were pretty low on that card. I don't love the Guild Mage, but I think it's more of a unique effect than Burning Tree Vandal. Yeah, I guess so. I'm really, I'm so impressed by Burning Tree Vandal, but I, I like the Cult Guild Mage probably more than I should, as it's more often than not just a two mana two two. But I think I like taking that here. Sort of feels like a bit like a Rakdos signal. I guess the upside of Burning Tree Vandal is
1: this draft is going messily so far. Mm-hmm. So Burning Tree Vandal also lets you, if you need to, pivot into Gruul. Yeah. So it keeps you a little more flexible and is probably still just as good in the Rakdos deck. I could buy the Burning Tree Vandal as the correct pick there.
0: Because like if you take Burning Tree Vandal, like maybe Feral Maka, Wheels, and like, like I said, I mean, Cult Guildmage more often than not is just a two mana 2 2. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Moving on to pack one, pick five. This is a really tough pick. See the following cards as options there's a Steeple Creeper, a Gruel Guildgate, a Gruel Beastmaster, and Carnival Carnage still in the uncommon slot. So rare missing, three uncommon still
0: here, literal zero blue cards in the pack. Aren't you taking A minus level card Blade Brand here? <laughs> just get off. That. <laughs> Heck, man <laughs> blade brand is a c so ben and i have been fighting about blade brand and footlight feuding being. even feuding even i guess i'm having trouble sleeping because there's such a rift in our friendship over these two cards yeah i'm just much lower on them than than you are i'm just i'm just pulling your leg i'm just joshing in here uh I think this pack is poop. You know, Gruul Beastmaster, where are you at on that card these days as, as the format is is coming to a close? I like it in Simic Tempo and nowhere else. Yeah. I feel like who, I think it was maybe when Owen was on limited resources, he was talking about it. Like, or, or no, I think it was LSV was talking about it uh, on limited resources that, you know, Beastmaster is good if you have ways to pump it. Like that is really explosive. Like, another beast master or using like multiple combat tricks, that sort of thing. Um, But otherwise is unimpressive. And I've never really been able to set it up like that. So I often just forego that card. I don't know what you're supposed to take here. I'd probably be tempted to follow up my, you know, you went blade juggler into cult guild mage. And I would probably just be on like, undercity scavenger or carnival carnage here yeah i think carnival carnage is probably
1: the responsible pick i'm just way lower on that card than the rest of the world i agree no i don't like that card either it's just never quite done it for me i mm-hmm. never feels like what i want to do in rakdos on four mana and carnival feels so low impact that i just don't find myself using that mode very often so what did you settle on here i ended up settling on steeple creeper here just maybe trying to keep the simic dream alive and or like maybe thinking i was going to pivot
0: into gruel i I don't know what i was thinking that was like yeah that would be a resuscitation to keep the simic dream alive
1: yeah after not seeing any blue i was just
0: hoping i think yeah and i really i really did not
1: like any of the rakdos cards in the pack that
0: makes sense i think that was
1: i think that was probably a bad pick though also what ended up happening for you in this draft draft was rough Pack one pick six, I picked up a drill bit out of a pack with nothing else in it, particularly. Got a pack one pick seven grotestomize, hey. which made me think, okay, locking into black. And there's a dead revels in that pack as well. Dead revels in that pack as well, yeah. So that made me feel good about black being open. I got a pack one pick nine summary judgment on the wheel, which made me think that Orzov might be a little bit open because summary judgment is not a card that I would expect to wheel unless white was fairly open. And actually, all three white cards out of our opening pack did wheel. So Ended up like dipping my toe into Orzov a little bit, and then that ended up not feeling open, and I ended up settling into a respectable Rakdos deck that was able to squeak out a 2-1 out of a pretty rocky start to a draft.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, but that you're a lord of limited, man. You're, you're good at the bob and weave. <laughs> I try my best. I, this is another reason why I just think this format is gas. Like, we're still now almost at the end of its lifespan here, and we're still like, I don't know how to navigate this draft. This is tough. We're like trying to figure out... How to value mass manipulation i just think that makes this format have real strong legs for the future all right so let's move in here we've got 10 points here i love myself a good bullet point formatted so well in our show notes 10 points here about bad habits of limited players and i'm just going to start off on i think my biggest pet peeve here in limited ben which is number one focusing on the deck that could have been and I think I see this a lot of times from folks who maybe aren't often active in my chat like new names I see but I see people you know in pack three being like oh so many Rakdos cards going by and if we're focusing not on that as information during the draft I think to myself why what 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 is good about spending energy noticing these cards going by and so To our point earlier about, you know, having pick orders, and I think this will come up again and again in a few of our points, but, you know, a, a pick order is very good at, one, being able to help you determine what your pack one, pick one should be, but also about determining what signals you're seeing in the draft, like deciding that this card is X amount of good, and if it's going sixth pick, that seems a little late for it, and so that's a signal. So if you're using that as a metric to go, oh, it's looking like Rakdos was open for the seat and maybe I can go back and look at the draft log and see, aha, there was the sixth pick blade juggler or two Rakdos cards wheeled out of our first pack or things like that, that you didn't notice that could have been clues for you. But if you have a very good deck in a different color pair and then you're like, ah, there's Rakdos cards going by, like who cares? Like there's, there's no interest in, in focusing on that. There's nothing to be gained by noticing that perhaps if you're in a pod of eight people, you can notice like, Okay, then maybe the person to my left is going to be in Rakdos or whatever, and that can be information for you. But when you're drafting on Arena or you're drafting on Magic Online leagues, like that's not Useful information for you to focus on. I don't know. I'm pretty interested in focusing on that. I think that I think this sort of originated from you and I streaming together when we first met each
1: other yeah. over Switch. I think this was the origin of the Ben Wernie, "Why Me" mentality. And I, the other thing I was going to say is early on in the episode, I was I was going to chime in, but you didn't really you didn't really leave any space. You said we've overcome all these. I think I struggle with a lot of these still. In fact, when coming up
0: with mine, I was trying to think of what some of my bad habits were as a player. No, I didn't mean that we've overcome all of these, I think these are things that are close to home to us, either things that we feel like we've tackled or are continuing to try and tackle. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so as someone who does do this, or maybe did do this more often than you do now, like, what's the point of this? What's the like, the impetus to do this? And do you feel like you gain anything from focusing on that? I understand intellectually that it's not helpful. Like that rings
1: true to me. But it's a it's a big difference between understanding that something's true and being able to put it into action. I think when it's something you struggle with, it's just a very visceral reaction for me. If I'm drafting whatever, let's say I got pigeonholed into Rakdos and I'm not thrilled about being Rakdos. And then all of a sudden I see a fifth pick frilled mystic that
0: just feels bad to me deep down primally. And it's hard to control that reaction. Yeah, I think it's really and and you know, you can go back to we've had Episode similar to this, I think the Make Your Own Luck episode, I think that's 23, maybe. Is kind of yeah, iconic. I think that was one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. And if you started
1: listening to the show a little later, would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to episode 23, Making Your Own Luck.
0: Yeah. So I think just it's really important to focus on the stuff that's in your control. That's a lot of what that episode is about. And I'm not saying that there isn't information to be gleaned here. But if you open up that draft log and go back and say, no, there was no way for me to figure out that Simic was open and that fifth pick-filled mystic sucked, but there wasn't any way for me to have been in Simic logically except going back in hindsight. Like the hindsight drafting is something that people need to eliminate from their vocabulary. You can only make the correct decision with the information you had at the time and then adjust accordingly for the future. You can't like go back and say, what if? It's just not helpful.
1: Yes, I absolutely agree. And I think you've made me better at this. And I think you hold me accountable when we are (laughs) drafting together to this and to try to prevent me from going down those alternate routes that maybe, and you know, it might be helpful. It is helpful, I think, if there was a world where you could have gotten into Simic and taken advantage of that when you go back and review the draft log. But if your first pick's Made sense, and you were picking the best card out of the pack, and it put you down a different path. I think that's just part of drafting. Yeah, I agree. You can't take you can't take all the best cards all the time. Doesn't work that way. No, I wish it did though. Number two, not reevaluating pick orders deep into the format once we really know what the decks are or what the guilds are and what those decks and guilds are trying to do, like what their game plan is. And I think this this really hit home for me with Chillbringer versus arresters Admonition. So we had pretty early on in the format identified Chilbringer correctly over Senate Courier as the number one blue common in the format with arrestor's admonition solidly in the number two slot. Sorry, Senate Courier. Savage. I'm just getting savaged here. <laughs> and I don't think I necessarily ever would have reevaluated that. Had Team Ultimate Guard not just absolutely smashed the Mythic, Mythic Championship with blue-white no-win cons or blue-white Dovin's Acuity or blue-white control, however you want to think about it. And once you look at what the blue decks are trying to do, I think Arrester's Admonition slots better into a vast majority of blue decks. Arrester's Admonition is better than Chillbringer in Dovin's Acuity, 100%. Yes. Arrester's Admonition is better. Better than Chillbringer, I think, in Blue White Control, because you don't like you're not really taking advantage of Chillbringer or locking something down in Blue White Control, unless you're on the back foot, and even then, it's only saving you an attack for a turn. I think Arrestor's Admonition is about equally as good to Chillbringer in Simic Tempo, and as a cheaper card, a cheaper converted mana cost, it's a more flexible card. It everything it does, I have never been disappointed. Never once in the entire format have I been disappointed to have Arrestor's Admonition in my hand. And Chillbringer sometimes is a little awkward and it's more expensive. It's a good card and they chain well together. But I think when you look at what blue is trying to do and specifically the best blue decks, I think are pretty spell focused. Arrestor's Admonition also works super well with a card like Terramander in the Simic Tempo decks. It just slots so much more nicely into the blue decks. And I don't think I ever would have taken the time to reevaluate that had people on other podcasts like LR or things like that or Ultimate Guard in their interviews at the Mythic Championship, been talking about how good they thought Arrester's Admonition was. And once that conversation started to happen, something clicked for me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I I do think that's a better card than Chillbringer.
0: Yeah. I think this also brings about a sort of like old adage of like, when you're choosing between two like sort of equal powered cards, which these kind of are, the cheaper one is often the better option. And that's what I come back to. That's what really helps me like, Think about this because for so long I thought Chilbringer was better. And I've only recently been like, yes, okay, I understand intellectually that Arrestor's Admonition is the better common. And part of that is because of those situations where you're stuck on three lands and you can just like use this to gain some tempo, bounce your opponent's thing, and draw a card to try and keep hitting land drops. Chilbringer does not let you do that.
1: Arrestor's Admonition is never bad. If your opponent doesn't have anything on the board on turn three, great, you're not dying. Mm -hmm. If they have something on the board on turn three, Great, you time walk them, draw a card, get deeper into your deck, hit your land drops, and then later in the game, it bounces things that have enchantment removal on them on your side and two for ones your opponent it two for ones your opponent tempo wise like makes them spend their mana to replay a threat if you're ahead
0: it's good defensively it's it's so good yeah god forbid they've adapted a creature and then you get to bounce it like it's just very very strong Yeah. trading three mana for seven mana and drawing a card when they adapt their air monculus yeah i mean this is a really good example of this general theme that i think is really hard to do this this is a, a, a really This example in particular is very strong for me because a chill bringer was number one for so long. And I perhaps maybe was having a little PTSD from ranking Senate courier as number one. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think it's so important even up until the end of the format to keep evaluating cards in the context of sets, seeing them in play, hearing what other people have to say. Yeah, I think we do a really good job in the first couple weeks of updating
1: our top commons. And Mm -hmm. I think we should check in once in the middle of the format also and just like try to get a a more solid re-ranking of the top commons. Because I think Burning Tree Vandal should definitely be the number two red common. And I don't think that's where we had it in our, you know,
0: couple weeks into the format. Probably still had Scorchmark second or whatever for no reason. Right. And I would probably have Scorchmark below the like five mana six five. Yeah, I agree. I was talking to Sam Islandfelt yesterday when we were co-streaming about like Green Commons and how like I, I still don't really know. Like I know Soraform Hybrid is number one, but I don't think I know what number I have as number two or number three. Maybe Rendhorn is number two and like open the gates number three. But yeah, I think it would be good to like check in once we have a really strong feel like when we're like 50, 75 drafts deep and then really try and re reevaluate those. I think that's a good conversation to have. Number 3 on this list, we've got saying that a pick is easy or not close. Amen. This is like ingrained in magic players, I think. I don't know why. I don't know what the like origin of being like, oh, it's this is it's this easy. So, the reason that I think that we should all remove this phrase from our vocabulary is that it does two things that are not helpful. So, first, it implies that it's obvious, right? So someone asks you what the pick is and you say it's this easy, this not close. So that's obvious. Why didn't you know that? Right. And that means that anyone who didn't think it was obvious is stupid for not seeing that it was obvious. Right. That's not something you want to do. And number two is it removes any room for discussion about the pick. Right. It sort of like closes the door on that. Discussing draft picks is one of the most fun and interesting parts of this game. It's why. Our Discord thrives. It's why even Star City Games, who doesn't really have a lot of limited content, we are very grateful to be among the ranks there. But on Twitter, they post a pack one, pick one every day. It's engaging. It starts a conversation. And then saying that something is easy about that decision immediately shuts it down. I think
1: it's super funny that we both came to separate conclusions about this right around the same time. I remember catching myself saying this, and then all of a sudden it just clicked with me. And I was like, why did I say that? All it's going to do is lead to people feeling bad if they don't think it's a close pick or if they don't understand that this card is the pick like how, how, how would you feel if you're in twitch chat and you know you're learning about the game and you're trying to decide what the pick is and you settle on whatever i don't know uh burning tree vandal is the pick and i say that frilled mystic is the pick not close like you're gonna feel bad mm-hmm. you're gonna feel oh i got this wrong oh And then you're also not going to want to ask, why is Frilled Mystic the pick in Twitch chat? Because I just said it's not close. Like, so you think, obviously, that's the pick. And I don't know why that's the pick. I'm not going to volunteer information in Twitch chat that makes me look like the kid in class, you know, Mm -hmm. that raises their hand and gets the answer wrong.
0: Eventually, that kid stops raising their hand. And then that person. So what do they walk away with? They walk away. Okay, Frilled Mystic is better than Burning Tree Vandal. They don't know why. They don't know what the context of what your decision making is like. Is it because of just raw power level? Is it because of the cards already in your pile? Is it because of how you feel the format is or like what the current state of the metagame and limited is like there's so many things to consider for making a pick decision that now that person has no way of like, you know, teach a man to fish sort of thing. Like they have no way to take that evaluation and then apply it to future evaluations. So some phrases to adopt instead, I think putting the onus on. I statements, in my opinion, this is the pick. For me, it's this. My experience has been with this card versus this card. Like, if you. Talk about it in terms of that. It's very easy to be like, okay, well, I'm seeing where you're coming from and I appreciate that perspective. Uh, Talk about cards in terms of gradations or how you'd rank them in the pack. You see people like, you know, ordering their picks, maybe for the top three, top four cards out of a pack with like multiple greater than signs between each card to sort of show how you stack them up. That is a way to start a conversation. And that's what we want to do when talking about draft picks. Well, I think the other thing is that I, I think it sort of started up because, you know, people like saying
1: that things are close or medium or, you know, close but clear. And then this just got like shoved into that vocabulary of easy or not close. You know, if something's close, it's easy to say that something else is not close, Mm -hmm. except close is leads to discussion and not close is whatever just slams the door. And I think, yeah, what you said, there's just better ways to phrase it and better ways to encourage conversation about draft picks. Number four, picking cards based on pick orders or power level later in the draft. And I think this is a super bad habit and one that I really I do think I've overcome this one quite a bit and part of that has been doing this podcast and drafting with you and I think you have a much different drafting style mm. than I do and you're much more creative and much more flexible in your drafting and I think. A lot of that has rubbed off on me and made me a better drafter. But what what this tends to do is it tends to lead to drafting a really if you're picking cards based on pick orders deep into the draft, it tends to lead to drafting a really unfocused deck that's full of really good or really solid cards that don't necessarily have a cohesive plan. You know, like every card in your deck is a C, C plus, B minus, but maybe they don't work well together. And so when I really fell into this trap was when I first started listening to Limited Resources, and my very first episode of Limited Resources was one of the best Limited Resources episodes of all time, was Brian Wong's first episode, and it was Quadrant Theory, which just absolutely blew my mind, obviously. Because I was like, oh, my God, that's genius. Why, why have I not been doing that my whole life? And so I started evaluating every card in the draft on the axis of quadrant theory, which is good and does lead to you picking better cards, like more rawly powerful cards. But it doesn't necessarily lead to you drafting a deck. So I would end up with these decks full of good cards that didn't necessarily have a plan or, you know, weren't weren't cohesive. Is that something you found yourself doing at all, ever?
0: Yeah, I've, I remember having a similar experience, so that was not my first episode of LR, but it was something where I felt that as a significant level up, and I remember doing that, being like, well, this is good in more quadrants than this card, so I'll take that, and that was sort of my metric for X number of drafts after that, and it does have a tendency to just lead to pile of cards, decks. That's not what you want to do, especially in sets, at least in the lifetime of our podcast. You just can't do that synergy sets are synergy decks or decks that are greater than the sum of their parts i think are just what we're moving more towards in limited than not i think there's a couple things to realize about pick orders first of all i
1: think they're just good and we should be trying as a community or as a lords of limited community or limited resources community or a people who like drafting community trying to come to a consensus on pick orders because they are helpful And the first thing to understand is that you should or often, not necessarily should, but you often make picks differently than your pick order as soon as pack one, pick two, sometimes later in the draft, pick one, pick four, sometimes pack one, pick eight. It just sort of depends on a multitude of factors. And that's where teaching draft is difficult. But pick orders are super important because it's helpful to know which cards are objectively more powerful than others, you know, in certain archetypes or things like that. And it helps the community to agree on what signals are. So if we all know blade Juggler is the best common, you getting a pack one pick five blade juggler is a pretty big deal. That should be a signal that blacks open. Whereas if we don't agree on card evaluations, signals are going to get messier. And I guess the people with the better card evaluations are going to have a higher win rate, but it still makes the drafting process a lot messier in pod drafting on MTGO or in person. Agreed. And once you understand that those pick orders are important, the next most important thing is understanding when to deviate them or when to break from your pick orders later in the draft. And I think there's a few reasons for that. The first of which is and in no particular order here, but the first of which is synergy. So if a card is more synergistic in your deck, maybe than another card, maybe you're going to pick a D and that card has a ranking of a D because it's sometimes playable in a certain situation. And maybe your deck is that certain situation where that card is going to shine and you want to put that card in your deck.
0: Another reason to deviate from a pick order is your deck has a plan. I mean, I think this is sort of in line with synergy, but if your deck has a certain plan, which makes an objectively worse card better in the context of your deck, you know, thinking about sort of maybe this is a cop out, but you think about something like high alert, It's very easy to go, well, normally you would want a skitter eel instead of a senate courier, right? But not in a high alert deck. And that maybe falls in line with synergy. But like if your deck has a certain plan, you know, if you think about aggressive Orzov decks versus controlling Orzov decks, ill-gotten inheritance has a different role in both of those decks. I think it belongs more so in an aggressive deck and less so in a more controlling deck. And so that may be a consideration when you're picking between that and a syndicate messenger. Would you rather have the 2-3 flyer afterlife or would you rather have Your sort of lava axe on a stick. I think the next one is that you need
1: to fill out a certain converted mana cost slot. Maybe you're missing three drops. Maybe you're missing two drops. But I think this is one to be careful of. I think this is a really dangerous one. I often see people way too early in the draft willing to take worse cards for something that will fill out their quote unquote curve. They're taking, you know, an impassioned orator over. Grasping Thrall. Sure. Yeah. Anything that's, you know, significantly better. I think those starts of things don't happen for me usually until midway through pack two or into pack three where I'm starting to make those kinds of picks. And I do think one thing LSV talks about that is super true on limited resources is that, you know, taking the cheaper card early leaves you flexibility to take that five drop card later on. There are only so many five drops you can have, but there are also like significant shifts in power level along the way to be aware of. So make sure you don't fall into the trap of taking them too early for your curve.
0: Right. But also I think I would remember that like, you can have too many five drops. You can't have too many two drops. I've seen people be worried about like, well, maybe, maybe I don't need to take the the hyper here. I have enough two drops. There's no such thing. Another example here is you need like a certain type of card. Maybe you're you're a beatdown deck, but you're only at ten creatures going into pack three. Uh, you don't have any removal. So you have to take that over maybe a, sh- a shark to crab. So no, that's probably a bad example, but you <laughs> a shark to crab is sort of removal in, in its own way. But, um, you know, maybe you have to take that over um, a-, a guild mage, right? You just need, uh, you need to take law mages binding over senate guild mage because you just need ways to interact, something like that.
1: I think the last thing would be sideboard considerations once you've got enough playables. If you're sure you're going to meet playable, maybe you're picking a high powered sideboard
0: card over You know, a rock solid C, even though the sideboard card isn't going to make your main deck. All right, next up on this list, number five, not taking advice from your peers, or even worse, people who are better than you. So if you think back to our vast episode on card evaluations, uh, the most important letter, I think, in that acronym is T, testing out the cards in game. Uh, Pro teams do this sort of thing all the time, right, when they have their limited meetings. Uh, If you haven't had a chance to play with a card, you just take the advice of someone you trust, of someone who is as good or better than you at this game. So someone comes to you and says, yeah, mass manipulation is worth it even though it's quad blue. And you go, okay, that seems crazy to me because it's quad blue, but I'm going to trust you. And so then when I open that up at the Mythic Championship tomorrow, I'm going to know that I should do that. I should take that card. Uh, Forming opinions on cards before playing with them is important, don't get me wrong, but being flexible and fluid with those evaluations is more important. So an example of this for me is that uh, someone who is often at the top of the trophy leaderboard on MTGO and is often in my Twitch chat, BeersSC, uh, was very high on two cards, Revival, Revenge, and Priest of the Forgotten Gods early in the set, neither of which I had a chance to play with. Uh, I still thought poorly of both of those cards but i had his opinions in the back of my mind when i would see them like I'd be like well this is his one of his like pet cards in the set of priest of the forgotten gods and revival revenge was a card that impressed him a lot he kept being like i don't know why this card is good but it keeps showing up and doing work for me and so then i decided to start playing with those cards and seeing them for myself or assessing them differently when i saw them on the opposite side of the battlefield not just thinking that like oh my opponent's so lucky that revival revenge happens to be good here it's like no it's just like going to be good more often than not priest of the forgotten gods requires you to build around it and isn't great in a an afterlife mirror but it has really good matchups in this format
1: yeah, and I think this is another one where you and I have pretty good handle on and I think have a significant edge. One, because we stream. So the entire first two weeks of the format, all we're doing is answering questions about cards and having discussions about cards and which one's better. And no, this might be the best blue comment or whatever. And we've got the Discord, this community of peers where we can, you know, if we've got a question or if any of them have questions, it's insane at the beginning of the format how much information is being parsed about what the best cards are and where they're best and what the archetypes are trying to do. It's, it's pretty awesome. Moving on to number six, making a pick for power level over flexibility to try to spike a higher power level in your deck or to try to spike a three Oh, I think this is something I'm still guilty of. I try not to do this quite so much. I find myself doing this, especially when I've been on a losing streak. Mm. Uh, when I was in Dominaria, I was doing this quite a bit. I really struggled at the beginning of Dominaria, but I think you just need to understand that this isn't necessary and probably leads to an overall worse win rate even if it when it works you know if you do it and it works and you do spike the open lane and you do 30 you probably still didn't draft correctly so I think a, a really good example of this was in our latest Lords of limited showdown video which if you haven't watched yet you should check it out on YouTube
0: I think it was maybe the most exciting one yet I think it was it was yeah they was ooh, the, the no games spoilers. were were swingy
1: they were swingy that's for sure uh so my picks in this the start of the showdown went pack one pick one. Prime speaker vanifar for tickets, which I didn't know was tickets, so lucky me. <laughs> pack one pick two, Hackerbat. Pack one pick three, Savage Smash. And then I came to this interesting decision of pack one pick four, Savage Smash versus Skewer. And so I have a Rakdos card in Hackerbat. I have a Gruel card in Savage Smash. The Savage Smash that I've taken is more recent. And then do I take Savage Smash here? Say, you know, if Gruul's open, great, you know, I'm going to have two Savage Mashes. I think Savage Mash is a better card, a more powerful card than Skewer. But I think when you boil it down, Skewer is just the correct disciplined draft pick there, because Skewer is going to go in either my Gruul deck or my Rakdos deck, and it's going to be a consistently good card. Whereas, you know, if I take the second Savage Mash and then I have to end up in Rakdos, I'm going to miss out on a skewer in my deck. So just make sure you're not doing things like that. I did take the second Savage Smash and I did savagely get punished uh, because Rakdos ended up being open and I missed out on having a skewer in my deck.
0: Yeah, I think I get bogged down in those situations where I think about, well, if I pass the Savage Smash here, I'm sending a signal. I think I'm starting to let that creep into my decisions way too much especially in these like guild based sets where I feel like it's important to find your lane if you are going to be navigating yourself into just a strictly two color deck that I worry about sending the signal. It's like, well, Skewer is going to send a signal that red is open, uh, but Savage Smash is going to send a gruel signal. And so if I end up in gruel, I'm going to like maybe get cut out of something. And I think I'm just like thinking about stuff way too much in that regard. And
1: so I think just remember that you're trying to get the highest overall win percentage, not in any one draft which is going to be drafting the hard way. You know, everything that Ben Stark and limited resources and everything like that talks about
0: all the time. Number seven on this list, engaging in discussions where you actually have no interest in changing your own opinion. Uh, I see this on Twitter. I unfortunately even see it sometimes in our discord where people post questions about cards, situations, picks, builds, etc., where they've already made up their mind. Yeah, it's like,
1: hey, meet me out back behind school and we're going to throw down about this card. <laughs> Like sort
0: of baiting people into arguing with you. So I think if you've already made up your mind and you're posing it as like a Socratic question where like you've already come up with the answer, but you're using it as a teaching tool if you feel like that's what your Twitter platform is or if you're, you know, maybe one of the people in our Discord that folks look to. For advice, rather than who are seeking advice, I think we've got you know different layers of that in in the Discord. I think that's totally fine, but should be framed as such. But if you're genuinely seeking advice, be receptive to said advice. If you you know it's it's tough, Uh, you know, you and I put ourselves out there on the podcast, on our stream, all the time, and I think we're sort of used to uh, decisions that we make being criticized. Folks who maybe don't do that all the time, if you put your draft log up for review. And folks come back with, I would have done X, Y, Z differently. There's this instinct to be like, well, 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 well I did it because of this. I, I made my pick differently because of this and this and this. And well, is that really helpful? Like you're putting your draft log out there for information. Get the information back. You want to hear what other people have done. And then you can assess that against your own picks. Like, well, this person said this. What do I think about, you know, sort of is, is tied into taking advice from peers or people who are greater than you, but or better than you, but looking at what other people are saying, if you respect their opinion, I don't think then putting up your shields and being defensive is the right way to go. So I think think about what you're hoping to get out of something when you pose a question and then try your best to get that something out.
1: And maybe you're not actually changing your opinion after that That person has a different opinion than you, but you can still take what they've said and their logic and apply that to what you think and your logic and maybe come to a closer understanding of the two cards or the draft pick. Or maybe you you know, shift your position slightly higher on the card that the other person is arguing for. There's, there's nothing, nothing bad is going to come of differing opinions. You're
0: always going to learn. Yeah, I think the only thing bad to come from that is to you know, make someone feel bad about giving advice or answering a question in a way and then go, well, actually, it's not that it's like, well, then wh- why? Why were you asking the question in the first place?
1: Right. Number eight. This is my biggest leak <laughs> as a limited player in terms of gameplay, and it is snap playing lands or taking other actions before mapping out your turn or like drawing cards first during your turn. I get so caught up in just land. It's just habit to just click that land on MTGO or to just drag it out. And I don't necessarily do it quite so much in paper. I play a lot slower in paper because I'm not as confident. So I think this is probably less likely to happen to me in paper. But it just requires an attention to detail and to committing to, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. And you know, I listen to Palo Vito Damaderosa PVDDR, he talks about this a lot where he'll think a lot during his first main phase, and maybe he's th- he's mapping out that entire turn, maybe he's thinking about multiple turns down the road, and he might pause for an entire minute on his first main phase, and then once he decides what he's doing, he quickly moves through what his plan is for that turn or maybe even future turns. And I think I need to try harder when I'm playing to adopt that mindset, but it's you know, there's always the streaming excuse. It's Mm. a little it's difficult when you're streaming because you're trying to entertain people or talk through your lines of play. But that's even more of a reason talking through lines of play as even more of a reason to just not snap click that land. So I just think I need to make a conscious effort to be
0: better about that. But that is the number one way I punt in games. Yeah, I would add on a little addendum to this, which is not taking the time to reevaluate your plan for the turn when something changes, like if your opponent does something like bounces a creature or plays a combat trick, I will not, I will often still be tunnel visioned on my initial plan and I won't adjust then. You know, I feel like so often than not people are like, well, why didn't you do this? And I'm like, oh, because I was just still thinking about my initial plan for the turn and I didn't reevaluate once new information was added. Number nine, we're closing in on the end here, playing around too many things. So I think there is this level up moment for every limited player where, for example, they see in Ravnica Allegiance one and a blue mana on the opposing side of the battlefield and they go, aha, it could be quench. Should I cast my spell? No, because you're going to get quenched. Okay, so if you're Ben, the answer is clearly no. Uh, It could be fairy duelist. Should I attack with my imperious oligarch? So there are a lot of factors to consider when thinking about playing around a card in the dark. And when I say in the dark, I mean without having seen it. Um, So when you're in best of one, you know, you that's where you are all the time. But in best of three, if you've seen a card in game one, then I'm more inclined to think about it in game two and game three versus if I haven't seen it yet, I often I'm just going to like make my opponent have it. I think in general, I see people playing around things way too often, especially in scenarios where multiple things can happen. One, it's a card you haven't seen yet, right? So I don't think you should be playing around things in the dark very often. If you see a card like Quench, Fairy Duelist, etc., I'm more inclined to play around commons than, than uncommons or rares, but I, I still am, am a firm believer of, of usually make them have it. Number two, right, it's a card at mythic rare or even uncommon, but I'm certainly not playing around mythics. I think biggest offender of this in Ravnica Allegiance is the Angel of Grace, the Flash Angel that's a mythic. You know, people talk about that card when we haven't seen it. They're like, oh, they could have this. Like, yeah, they could. I'm going to have to see it first before I <laughs> make any decisions about playing around it. Because there's a the danger of like adding a card to your opponent's hand when you do something like that. Right? If you decide that they have this thing and they don't actually, you're essentially giving them an extra spell. I don't think you should be playing around things when it requires like multiple leaps of logic. To conclude that they have that current card, you know, if you're thinking back multiple turns about maybe something they did that might indicate why they have a certain card now, you know, be careful about stretching that read too far. And I think the most important one on this list is you can't afford to play around the card that they have that you think they have because you'll lose either way if they do have it. Right. So if you're in combat and it's like, well, if they have giant growth here, or maybe a real card like gift of strength, they have gift of strength here or collision colossus, while I'll be dead. So I might as well play around them not having that because it doesn't matter anyway. If they have it, I'm dead. So let's think about them not having it and what's going to be the situation I'll find myself in based on that. Right. I think
1: this is another big leak of mine. I do. In general, I'm a very conservative player and I try to make sure I've got the win locked up and I tend my brain tends to think about what could go wrong. And I think what I really need to try to focus on doing to be an even better player is to try to focus on why i might think they might have those things like thinking during their turn or what have they done to imply or why would this make that make sense just last night i remember streaming and somebody traded off their pestilence spirit and I was like, why did they do that? That makes no sense. And somebody in Twitch chat type, well, they must have dead rebels. And I was like, well, that seems a little bit of a stretch. But then it turned out they did have dead rebels. Um, so just trying to think about what actions your opponent's taking in the game and maybe what cards they could have in hand that would lead to those game actions making sense. Like to try to be more actively involved in my opponent's turn.
0: Right. Not just assuming that they're just a robot, like making decisions for no reason, <laughs> like... They're doing things for a reason. I think more often than not, putting yourself in their shoes is going to help you navigate your turn better. Number
1: 10, last one on this list. I think this is a really good one, and I think this doesn't get talked about enough. And it is building a suboptimal version of a deck that is supposed to be very good or supposed to be the best deck according to pros or content creators or us or limited resources or whatever. And I think Dovin's Acuity is that deck for this format. And I think there's several things going on there. So Dovin's Acuity is either one of two things. It's either a small package in a control deck with something where you've got like one Dovin's Acuity, two Summary Judgments, two Arrestor's Admonitions, and a Sphinx's Insight. And you just have this little nice Dovin's Acuity value package in your blue-white control deck. Or Dovin's Acuity is the linchpin of your deck, and you have like 10-plus ways to trigger it, and you have two times Clear the Mind to just continually loop your deck. And that version of the deck is probably the best version when it comes together you know if you get all the pieces but i think you know the other thing you need to understand is when Dobin's acuity doesn't come together and you don't have the ideal version of it it is not close to the best deck in the format in my opinion so for example you know if we're looking at two times clear the mind that's not really helpful unless you can actually dig through your deck with card draw spells and you have a lot of efficient removal, you know, when you cycle it back into your deck with Clear the Mind. If you don't have a graveyard full of spells, Clear the Mind is a three mana cantrip, which is not a good card. You need to be drawing through your deck, hitting your land drops. The good Dobin's acuity decks are really mana hungry and have a lot of card draw and have a lot of instant speed removal. And I think, you know, when I look in our discord specifically, I see the most suboptimal builds of Dovin's Acuity or Clear the Mind decks. And I think it's because people hear us or other content creators say, yeah, this is the best deck, you should do this. But then they they sort of do it halfway or they do it improperly. And I think that's a really dangerous place to be for us as content creators, you know, because it's a pretty complicated deck to draft, you know, for us to say this is the best deck, you should draft it. But then people sort of do it incorrectly or do it halfway and they end up with a deck that's, you know, probably not as good as if they just drafted a blue white control deck. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. I really, really love this point that you are having us finish up this list with. So one, I think folks who hear that then are more inclined to want to do it, right? Like, oh, this seems like a sweet deck. I've watched person X do it on stream or on a video, or I saw it on coverage and I want to try this deck. And so you see the Dovin's Acuity and you grab it and then you just like force this deck, which I think leads to suboptimal versions more often than not, rather than like getting into the deck sort of naturally. And I would say, I bet you've drafted Dovin's Acuity more than I
1: have. I've drafted Dovin's Acuity three times in this format, you know, and I've done between Arena and MTGO. I bet I've done close to 100
0: drafts. Yeah, I mean, I've drafted it a lot and I, I've drafted it a number of times where it doesn't come together or I've been like drafting it and I have to hedge into something else or I hedge into acuity in the draft. But then I know it doesn't come together. Like I feel like I have a pretty good pulse of like when I'm forcing it or when I'm like, well, we're just going to do it and try and make it work. And when I'm like, oh, this is a three O deck in my hands right now. I think I have a good handle on that. So I think folks who don't have the experience or maybe don't get to draft as much as we do are inclined to be like, well, this is my chance to draft this deck. And I heard it's great or it looks fun and I want to try it out. And I think also Dovin's Acuity has the sort of specifics of being a rare kind of deck. And so understanding what the moving pieces are during the draft are tough to do it's tough to know what boxes you're trying to check off like that's a deck with a perfect example of like where your pick orders go out the window it's so much more important to be taking spells and card draw and life gain um, than it is to be just taking like random creatures or like you want creatures that like blank multiple things so senate courier in those decks i always say like humungulus is really the five drop that's the best because you want to be able to make sure you can just stick something that's going to block that's just going to hold off a bunch of things that you don't have to worry about getting removed because so often what you're trying to do is stabilize your life total but that comes from one experience with the deck and two just like understanding what those moving pieces are and so I think there's those considerations of people not having a chance to draft the deck or like being eager to draft it without having perhaps uh, answered enough questions about it for themselves you know because it, it is so complicated to to build together and then I think you also see people posting lots of different versions of this deck that are successful, maybe that success is partially due to matchups, due to opponents, you know, like you'll see some pretty janky decks. You'll see double clear the mind decks without Dovin's acuity and think, well, the double clear the mind is just the thing that I'm doing. So I'll just draft a deck like that. And that's my win condition without perhaps knowing all the things that make that deck successful.
1: Right. And I think there's another layer of, once a content creator says this deck is the best deck, a lot of times I'll, I don't think we're quite to the point where we have that effect on the metagame yet. But when LR says like Orzov is the best or Azorius is the best, mm-hmm. a lot of times the next week on MTGO, it's hard to draft that deck. And it isn't actually the best deck anymore because too many people are trying to do it. You know, one of the things that made this Dovin's Acuity Clear the Mind thing great early in the format was that not a lot of people knew about it and you could get Dovin's Acuity, you know pack two pick six and then mm-hmm. you could wheel your clear the minds, and you didn't have to spend high picks on these cards to get the deck to come together so i think that's
0: another layer to consider there too when we're talking about this quote-unquote best deck in the format yeah i mean i we bring this up a lot but i think it was just such a profound example of metagame shifting but in hou when like we all sort of decided that you know the top two decks of the format were blue red spells and five color green with oasis ritualists there was just two three weeks where you couldn't get a good green deck everyone was trying to do this multiple this multi-color good stuff green deck and you just couldn't get it because it didn't function when like four people at the table were trying to draft that deck yep i do have one more
1: bonus Ooh, bad habit here that i think that just popped into my head as we were doing this episode that I think might become one. And I think maybe this would explain a little bit what I've been seeing going on Magic Online. I've been drafting some busted decks lately on Magic Online where I've been getting really good cards way too late. And that usually doesn't happen this late into the format. And I think a bad habit to be careful of, if you switch between Magic Arena and Magic Online, would be to be cognizant of the fact that when you're drafting on Magic Arena, you're drafting with robots and you get rewarded a little bit, I think, for committing earlier on Magic Arena and to not let that spill over into your, you know, FNM drafts or your MTGO drafts, to where you're, you know, in that arena mode where you're just committing to a lane and sticking to it. You need to try to remember to stay flexible and try to find the open lane because I don't think you really get rewarded for that so much on Arena and it could lead to
0: bad drafting habits I think on MTGO or in paper. Yeah, amen to that. I think that's one of my strengths as a Magic drafter in general and I think a lot of people Sometimes I see in Discord or on Twitter, just you know, not get don't get married to your early picks. But I think that's such an easy habit to fall into if you're drafting on Arena, and then if you're switching over to Moto MTGO, don't make that same mistake. Be flexible. Be aware of signals. The people you're drafting with are making decisions that are different from the robots. That's right. Robots haven't taken over
1: MTGO yet.
0: Although Soraform hybrids do go weirdly late (laughs) on MTGO. Hybrids are going so late. (laughs) I actually, before we recorded this morning, I was playing because so I, dr- I drafted m19 but i don't want to play it until the season ends because i want to make sure i'm in top 1000 mythic ranked and so i like had a cube draft that i didn't finish on magic online and i had like a rna best of five or best of six whatever uh traditional ranked draft that i hadn't finished so i like was just playing them on both screens <laughs> playing arena <laughs> on one and magic online on the other and that is trippy. You're like trying to drag your lands into play <laughs> in your legacy cube and like hitting F six over on the arena screen. it was, uh, I would not recommend. Yeah,
1: every time I go back to MTGO, I always try to drag and drop my land. Never works. I know. It's so
0: funny. All right. That's a great place to wrap (laughs) us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. You can find us on all sorts of social media platforms. I am streaming at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is back. Twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. You can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. And you can check out our second podcast, the Magic Arena podcast where you can hear us talking about dragging lands onto the battlefield that is available on the exclusive podcast app over at brew.com available in the Apple App Store.
1: Yeah. And my handle is spelled. Mr. Is spelled out M.I.S.T.E.R. Somebody just came into my Twitch chat last night and was like, this took an embarrassingly long time to find your stream because I was always looking for Mr. period metronome. Oh. So Mr. spelled out. Uh, if you've got any feedback about the show
0: or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. And stay tuned later in the week for our bonus episode with our War of the Spark preview cards. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. folks in Twitch chat. And, and they're often, you know, folks who I don't see very, very often in, in my chat or, or maybe someone who doesn't chat very often. That's the same thing. Let's we'll start that over.